All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm your host, Doug Kameen, and today I'm talking with Justin Mueller, IT Manager at Impulse Space in the Los Angeles area. Welcome to the show, Justin. Mm, Grace, nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So right before we got on, Justin and I, here we are coming on an IT Leaders podcast, and like, I mess up. I mess up setting up the link for the for the audio channel, and then we get on the call, and you're like, "I'm like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you." And, and what 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 ended up happening for you? What, what was the problem again for you? So I've got these, you know, really nice fancy headphones that have the boom mic where you lift it up and it mutes yourself. Mm. And you know, the case of being double muted is one of those things that great technology exists, but it can also hurt you if you're not paying attention. Yeah, here we are. We're the IT leaders. This is what we're doing. We we can't get ourselves unmuted, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. You know, it's I, I like I'm I in so many meetings. Yeah, yeah. It's ahead. it's like being in in all those meetings where you know everyone's like, "Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?" Like the old Verizon commercials used to have. It's mm-hmm. it's hilarious, like watching these meetings go down, especially when it's you know tech people. I know. <laughs> Everyone loves watching the tech guy or the or the tech person have have the challenge of the moment. They get to be like, yeah. Yeah. See, it's not just me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're trying to share a screen, and it takes like thirty <laughs> minutes to make it work. Absolutely. All right. So, so diving into meat and potatoes here. So, so Justin, you're you're leading uh, you're leading a team at a place called Impulse Space in Los Angeles now. But but you've been you've been a leader in a couple other places before this. Can you tell us a little bit about like just just a little bit about your history as a leader and 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 where what you're doing? Yeah. So, you know, really, I got my starts when I was 18 um, doing IT contracting. And, um, and I, I, I say it's IT adjacent, really, because I would do point of sale work, you know, in big box stores like Walmarts, Kmarts, Targets, and things like that. And I would go in with a team of 10 or 15 people. And we would, you know, go into a store right before Black Friday when they're doing all the upgrades. And we Mm -hmm. would just spend, you know, eight to 10 hours in a store upgrading all of their logic units, flatbed scanners, hand scanners, doing all of these things. Right before Black Friday. Right before Black Friday, right? Because that's that's when the... This does not sound like, this sounds like it could go bad. Yeah, because, you know, really the, the biggest, like, part of work for these, you know, big box retail stores is right before Black Friday. So everything mm-hmm. works on Black Friday. So they can let a hand scanner or a flatbed scanner, you know, be broken the rest of the year. But on Black Friday, or at least back in the day before everything was online only, um, you know, mm-hmm. that was super important. The stuff had to work. So, you know, you would go in and especially like in cases of, of like Walmart, you know, you can't start before 7 p.m. You know, you, you can't have anything on the floor before 7 p.m. And you have to be off the floor by 6 a.m. So, you know, you've got your list of things that you have to do. You walk in there. Everyone has their marching orders. Like, you're doing this. You're doing this. You're doing this. And, you know, you as like the person in charge have to make sure all of your ducks are in a row. And, you know, I've moved from that. And I've done, you know, help desk uh, leadership. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate in my role that I've been some form of leadership adjacent at every part of my career. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, leading the help desk and learning, you know, the fundamentals of IT service management and, and why that's so important from a user perspective and from a business perspective up until, you know, going into systems and being the the lead uh, individual actually working on and managing and building cool systems up until the point uh, where I am now, which is, you know, everything IT and IT adjacent. 
At Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we expect to win and we expect our IT directors to win. And one of those areas where we know that we can help you win is internet service providers. As an IT director tasked with managing internet connectivity, few vendor relationships can prove more painfully frustrating than the one with your internet service provider. The array of challenges seems never-ending, from unreliable uptime and insufficient bandwidth to poor customer service and hidden fees. It's like getting stuck in rush hour traffic, dealing with ISPs can try one's patience even on the best of days. So whether you are managing one location or a hundred locations, our back office support team and vendor partners are the best in the industry. And the best part about this is none of this will ever cost you a dime due to the partnership and the sponsors that we have behind the scenes at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Let us show you how we can manage away the mediocrity and hit it out of the park. We start by mapping all of the available fiber routes and we use our 1.2 billion in combined customer buying power in massive economy of scale to map all of your locations, to overcome construction fees, to use industry historical data, to encourage providers to compete for the lowest possible pricing, to negotiate the lowest rates guaranteed, and to provide fast response times in hours, not days, and we leverage aggregators and wholesale relationships to ensure you get the best possible pricing available in the marketplace. And on top of all of this, you get proactive network monitoring and proactive alerts so that you're not left calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND to enter in a ticket number and wonder, why is my internet connection down? In short, we are the partner that you have always wanted who understands your needs, your frustrations, and knows what you need without you having to ask. So we're still human, but we are some of the best and we aim to win. This all starts with a value discovery call where we find out what you have, why you have it, and what's on your roadmap. All you need to do is email internet at popularit.net and say, I want help managing all of my internet garbage. Please make my life easier and we'll get right on it for you. Have a wonderful day. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zero in a little bit on, on what you mentioned about your, your being a help desk lead. And the reason I want to zero in on that is because so many folks that we we talk to here on the podcast, there you know, there's a lot of IT directors, and I know that's the, that's the space you're doing now. But the specifics of being a leader on a help desk team has its own unique set of challenges, and I'd love to kind of like plumb a little bit of that of those depths and 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 find out some lessons that you learned from that. I mean, like I've, I've, I've just been exclusively a, 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 a supervisor of help desk teams, but from what I understand and I know you've got the people that are there are different, if you will. And I don't mean like in a bad way or anything else like that, but like your network admins and your help desk people really have different skill sets and they take different management styles in order to get the most out of them and to be an effective leader in those teams. So I'm curious what kind of tactics or understandings like you bring and you you think you could share uh, from that experience. Yeah, no, I definitely what I know now is much different than what I knew back then. And one of the things that's important is, uh, and you can't really teach this. You have to find people who have this, you know, at at their at their core as a core principle is like you have to have empathy, right? You have to put yourself in the place of the user. And when you're working on a problem for a user, yeah, it may be something trivial to us, a technical minded individual, but you have to remember that all of these individuals across the business are specialists in their own thing. All right, I can't come up with some fancy accounting practices 
And I don't expect them to be able to understand the intricacies of boom mics, right? Like on headphones. Yeah, that's a little complicated sometimes, you know? And it's difficult to unmute them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This <laughs> the whole double muting thing, it gets a little insane. And one of the things, you know, that I have really learned uh, across my career is that people just want to work. They they want to come in, they want all of their computers to work and, you know, they want to be able to do their job with, you know, minimal friction. And it's really and ultimately the help desk's role is to reduce that friction as much as possible for the end user. And sometimes that's as simple as, you know, resetting a user's password. Sometimes it's as complicated as debugging why their fancy Excel add-in isn't working and it takes you know time and effort to to get through those and every company's different every help desk is different some you know much larger companies have help desks that are very siloed while your smaller companies or help desks are going to be you know kind of multi-tools that are doing things like you know resetting passwords creating user accounts while other companies that's just something that only admins do mm -hmm. so so now motivating that team is different yeah, because they, I mean, they're, they're really on the front lines of your, uh, of, of your, your computer infrastructure. You know, you, you, know, you just talked about how it's important to, to like people, people want to have this frictionless experience and that your help desk is really the front lines and removing a lot of that friction. Motivating those people is its own, it's just different. Like, you know, you could, I, I, I maybe I'll speak from some of my experience and, and we can kind of compare notes here, but I feel like when I'm motivating the people on my systems administration team, I'm motivating them based on the idea of what you, you, things like this is going to be simpler when we're done. You know, if we're we're going to implement we're going to implement this new system, and it's going to really take away some of these administrative drudgery that you're take you're having to currently tackle, or the system's going to back up in like half the time that it did before, or something like that. We're trying to accomplish some very specific goals, and it's very it's usually kind of product oriented. Um, but the help desk people, you know, I think what they what motivates them and motivates a good help desk person isn't isn't particularly stuff like that. You know, it's the things that you see, the the, the interactions that they get from from the the people. You know, that they they have to help um, satisfying somebody's problem rapidly and quickly and easily, and getting that affirmation that they've done a good job uh, yeah. is it like like in building building a system that helps those folks do that type of stuff effectively really helps you be able to to give that type of motivation to that type of a team so I, i'll let you i'll let you contribute here. yeah no absolutely and, and one thing that I, I stress to my help desk people is that you know you're the face of the it department right it doesn't matter how efficient my infrastructure is it doesn't matter how much I've been able to save over building, you know, one, you know, hyperconverged infrastructure over another, or how much more efficient we can be by leveraging cloud technologies versus this other technology. At the end of the day, from the user's perspective, none of that matters because it's all ones and zeros and very complicated words and they don't care, right? Somebody cares. The people who pay the bills, they care, but the users, they don't care. And if the user's experience is really bad, and that's always going to come back to IT. So one of the things, you know, that I stress to to my help desk staff is like it doesn't matter what I do or what my administration team does or or anything like that if a user on day 1 
has a bad user experience, then they're going to perceive our IT department as incapable of providing good service. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we want to avoid because every amount of friction that the user gets on the experience level makes it more difficult from a management and a leadership perspective to go out to the rest of company leadership and say, hey, look, you know, give me this budget amount so that I can purchase this system to solve these problems because the user experience is already, you know, impacted by, well, you know, why are we having all of these other problems and you're wanting to solve these new problems? And it's it very hard to say that, well, you know, the problems that you're actually experiencing, they're not real problems, right? Like, like, I, you know, I could, I could go for days and there's, days. There's and air days. quotes going on here. Just so everybody, oh, yeah, everybody sorry, on so. the podcast, you can't see there's air quotes around that. So, so I just said in jest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Um, you know, but like, from a user perspective, it doesn't matter if I'm using, you know, nice, um, you know, Juniper switches or Aruba switches or Cisco switches, or if I'm using Unify, or even if I'm using Netgear switches that up on Amazon for $5, right? All a user cares about is, can I come to the office and connect to the internet? Does it work? Can I, yeah. Can I get to the, the network file shares? That's what matters to them. And the help desk is ultimately the ones that, you know, is, do you need something that you didn't have before? Okay, I'll get it for you, right? It doesn't matter if they have to reach up to the systems administrator and say, hey, Mr. Administrator, Ms. Administrator, can you can you send this to the user? Or, you know, it doesn't matter if it's something that we have to buy and there is a process for that. Like the help desk should be the people leading the charge, being the advocate for the user, making things happen. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's all the user cares about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know I try so hard in my space to empower my help desk folks to solve as many problems as possible. You know, so like this idea that, you know, oh, that needs to go to level two. Oh, that needs to go like as much as humanly possible. I want that 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 problem to be able to be resolved by the first person that call. Because as soon as you hand off, even if the next person does an amazing job at helping them, like just the fact that they had to get handed off can can leave it creates a friction point that people become frustrated with for like oh man like like i talked to i talked to joe and joe you know joe actually couldn't solve my problem so he handed me off to you know to jane here uh, you know because jane's a sysadmin and jane knows more than joe did in this particular case and sometimes that's necessary and you can't you can't get around that but like it's it, it's you know getting that first that first call resolution you know, really nailed down is, is a, it's a challenge and it requires a lot of planning and effort to, to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I do in, in my organization is the help desk owns every ticket, regardless of who's actually resolving the ticket. So if it's a ticket that they can't resolve and they have to send it to, you know, the administrators or myself, you know, it is still their responsibility to make sure that I'm resolving the ticket on behalf of the user. Right. Mm -hmm. So the metrics at the end of the day reflects on the help desk staff so that we can provide a good user experience for our users across the board. And we don't always hit the mark. Uh, you know, it's, it's we're a startup and everything is moving super fast. Um, but at the end of the day, like that's that's the goal. Like help desk owns everything because we're the face of IT. Yeah, and it's I think that's a that's a great way to do it and, and really sage advice to give to our listeners out there about how you're owning that help desk. So you, you know, you, you, your, your tickets, the help desk people become the internal advocates because they care, you know, they don't just pass the ticket, throw it over the, the cubicle wall and be like, well, you know, that's uh, Justin's problem now. 
uh, you know, you've, you've really created a sense of accountability for, for all of them in there. And so I'm going to, I'm going to transition here because you brought it up about your current role. And so we talked a little bit about being in the help desk, managing help desks and the things that are there, but you've really transitioned to your new leadership role is in a startup. And what's that like being an IT manager and a leader in a startup? It is an experience unlike anything I have ever experienced before in my life. And I, I had no idea what I was getting into. So I've had the privilege in my career to, you know, be in, in like I said, leadership or leadership adjacent roles pretty much since the very beginning, which mm-hmm. is pretty much unheard of for almost anyone ever. But one of the really cool things um, that I've like never really had to worry about is, you know, how do you build something from nothing. You know, I've come in and there were always people smarter than me that built these things. They built the systems, they built the help desk ticketing system, the processes. You know, I just came and took over what they built. Uh, But here at Impulse, I've had to build everything from the ground up. And figuring out, okay, you know, what's my budget? How much do I need to spend? Who do I need to hire? When do I need to hire them? All of these things that I've really never had to think about because, you know, I've just walked into positions where everything was already there. And now after doing this, I realized that like, it's not just the building of the thing that we're doing. We're building things very fast. Mm -hmm. You know, I went from, you know, zero infrastructure, uh, well, a single unified network switch, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, when I started here less than two years ago. And, you know, now we have, you know, cloud infrastructure in Azure, we have cloud infrastructure in AWS, we have on-premise hyper-converged infrastructure, you know, we have, you know, data centers, networks, multiple sites, you know, we went from, uh, I'm 20, uh, 26 employees, you know, now we're almost at 100 and we're looking to grow even more th- throughout wow. this year. That's and, amazing. You know, yeah, and... You know, look, in less than a year, you know, we've built a factory. We went from a 6,000 square foot building to a 60,000 square foot factory that is designed with modularity in mind because we knew we were a startup and we're going to grow. So I've got IDF cabinets where you don't have to run an Ethernet cable more than 70 feet from any given location. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that means I have a bunch of network switches and, you know, it's been this really cool adventure because we've built this factory. We built our spacecraft into this factory. We launched our spacecraft and performed successful mission operations with our brand new spacecraft um, all within less than a year. Um, and you know, every single part of that in some capacity has touched the things that I helped build or my team has helped build along the way. Wow. And so for the for the benefit of our listeners here, because you mentioned you just mentioned spacecraft, and I'm sure a bunch of people are listening are like, wait a minute, what what does this guy do? What does this company do? So, tell us a little bit about your current employer and what they're doing. Yeah, so Impulse Space is a, a space logistics company, and we're really looking to um, help accelerate um, access to anywhere in the solar system that you know companies want to go. Um, right now, one of the paradigms of putting things into space is there's two interesting problems that you still have to really solve for efficient space transportation. Uh, one of those problems is, you know, if you want to get to a specific orbit, 
um, as a uh, a CubeSat. So CubeSats, for the sake of anyone who's never seen one, very, very small satellites um, that start out as like 10 centimeters by 10 centimeter like cubes. Mm-hmm. And they, they go up in scale depending on what the, the CubeSat needs to do. Um, but if you want to go to a specific orbit, the way that this works is you have to find a rocket launch provider, um, which there are a couple, but the main one right now that's always in the news is SpaceX. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to find a specific launch provider that's taking you to that specific orbit and can drop you off. Um, but that gets very cumbersome and complicated because wait lists for these things um, can get years out. It's very um, you know cumbersome to to deal with the rocket launch providers and, and organize all of these things. So where we come in is we provide you know what's called an orbital transfer vehicle. So you can pay us say and tell us that we want to take your satellite and put it here in this orbit, um, wherever that orbit may be, and we provide all of that infrastructure needed for you to get from point A to point B. Um, you know, it's kind of like a Uber for space, you know, um, you know, instead of, instead of having to pay, you know, a a big rocket launch provider, you're just paying, you know, uh, impulse space to do this. And then we have a a second product offering. Um, that's a, uh, what they call a kick stage. So it essentially functions as a third stage to an already manufactured rocket. That's able to deliver a, a massive amount of, uh, uh, a tonnage uh, into um, space from like uh, low uh, low Earth orbit into like geosynchronous orbit. So mm-hmm. one of the um, the main providers, and, and please don't take me for a, a space um, expert because I'm the I'm the IT expert at a space company. I work with the space experts. Um, Maybe you but, can sleep at a Holiday Inn tonight and gain some knowledge, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but one of the things is if, if you're a, a launch provider or if you're a, a satellite maker and you want to put a satellite into geosynchronous orbit, mm-hmm. um, you have to essentially throw away an entire rocket to do that because there's no way to get the rocket back. There's not enough fuel in the rocket to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of throwing away an entire rocket, Right. It's like, why can't we build a specially made vehicle that can go from the rocket in low Earth orbit so the rocket can still land and be reused? And mm-hmm. then we can take you to geosynchronous orbit. Right. And, and that's that's what we're looking to build. And then we want to take it a step further and be like, well, we're going to create gas stations in space with, you know, partner organizations. You know, we're, we're teaming up with a company called Orbit Fab that is, you know, literally trying to do that, build gas stations in space. So if we can build in-space gas stations, then we can have a logistics network of vehicles that are always in space, grabbing things, moving things, refueling, coming back, doing it again. And that's ultimately where we want to be. Oh my God. That is, that is so ridiculously interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And to your credit, that was an amazing explanation. It flowed. It was spot on it. Like, you know, I'm following everything that you're sharing and it's, it's super interesting, and and that's that's got to be an incredible experience and place to work uh, to come to uh, every day, essentially. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating working with all of these super intelligent people that make you feel very humble, you know, especially as as someone who is you know just feels like they stumbled their way into this role and <laughs> you're working with all these people. I mean, our, our, our founder of the company is, is, you know, employee number one, co-founder of SpaceX. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to work with all of these, you know, really just genuine like experts in their field, uh, top of their, their field individuals, um, really puts in perspective how much work 
goes in to doing really cool things as a startup. And it's been a very interesting uh, two years. That's to say the least. Uh, it's like, I, I would make the analogy. It's like riding a rocket ship, but you know, <laughs> yeah, perhaps you actually are at the time, you know, <laughs> yeah. you gotta watch out. You gotta, what is it? You have to watch out for the, uh, the, the rapid unscheduled disassembly, right? Yeah, that- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like how, how many individuals have ever had the, the privilege of figuring out how you're going to put it infrastructure in the middle of the desert with zero power. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to bring our own power. We have to build solar panels. We have to build battery arrays. We have to, you know, we're building essentially what is a, a mini data center in a shipping container and putting it in the middle of the desert so that we can do our test operations to, you know, test our engines. It's very fascinating. Wow. That's, this, is, this is an incredible story. We could probably talk for the next hour on this alone. But I, I want to I want to shift us again and I want to. I want to explore, I'll explore your history a little bit. So, so, you know, you, it, it, when we talked about your work history, you know, you shared, you've, you've been in leadership and leadership adjacent positions for, for the majority of your career. And I'm going to go on to limb and say, you're, you're on the younger side as a, as a leader. Um, and I think that's a really interesting perspective here. Um, I, you know, so I'm, I'm a tail end Gen Xer myself, but I'm not sure where you land. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to guess millennial, but, uh, yeah. So are you, are you a, a middle or late millennial? Um, you know, I don't even know when that, uh, area, I'm pretty sure I'm a late millennial. So I'm, I'm 29 years young. If 29, that, 29 you know, I, years I, I young. Okay. I, I mean, if you want to share, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'll just, I give generalizations, but so yeah. at 29, you're like, you're like among the youngest millennials. And that's, so this is, this is this is great because you've got this really great experience uh, that you're going through in the, your current role, and and it's really great experience that you've had in the past. And I think that the people who are here listening, there's there's probably some really great lessons that you can share. So so many of the people we get are like my age. You know, I'm I, I've, I'll just be honest, I'm 45. You know, so um, and and you, you know, it's great that you know I've got 25 years of experience in the in the field and everything else like that. But you're going to have a different perspective on some of these like leadership things that than I will. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just dive right in. And I'm gonna say some of this is gonna be fun questions. Tell me about your first computer and your first technology experience. Okay. What so was it? I started working on computers when I was 12 years old. Okay. And um, I was lucky enough that my dad and mom, you know, gave me a computer. It was a Windows XP or no, it was, it was Windows 98. And what we would do is we would find old computers, me and my dad. So, you know, credit to my dad. He helped me get here. Um, mm-hmm. but we, we would find old computers at yard sales because you could do that back then. Mm-hmm. And we would upgrade, you know, the, the RAM and we would install Windows XP on it. And then we would resell the computers. Hmm. And, and you put the fanciest 52X CD drive in it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think we did that. Like, like it was literally people just wanted to browse the internet right back then. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to pick out some technology that's very anachronistic for today. It is left yeah. behind, but you know, maybe maybe that a zip drive, right? You know, yeah, zip drives. We would we would upgrade them to floppy drives. You know, mm-hmm. like we that was still back then. Um, yeah, you know, we would yeah we would install CD burners because uh, people wanted to burn their music. At, they downloaded off LimeWire, right? Um, <laughs> and and we I got I, I started LimeWire. doing that. Yeah, and I discovered um, 
as I got a little bit older, um, I discovered, you know, that I really loved computers and, and making computers do things. Like one of my favorite things to do as uh, as a young uh, kid was um, I figured out a way to adjust like the lock screens um, of Windows XP to change it. Like, you know, you change the background and everything. So yep. I called my mom in my room one day and like I had my lock screen all dressed with the CIA logo. And, you know, I made her think that I had hacked into the CIA and she <laughs> lost it. Uh, <laughs> Um, never, never able to actually become, you know, a, a hacker, right? In the true essence. But um, I actually, I would say, my start really came, um, and I don't remember what year this was I, specifically, but I had discovered that there was a, a version of Linux called Backtrack. I think now it's called Kali Linux, and there was a utility. This is back when everyone used uh, web encryption for their Wi-Fi. And um, I discovered that I could use a, a, a utility called AirCrack NG. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, and I hacked the you school's... Can, that's still a tool you can yeah, use. Yeah. And, and I hacked the school's Wi-Fi at, at my nice. school. And I also discovered um, a very ingenious way that I could get around the school's firewall by just directing everything to HTTPS, right? Because there's back then the firewalls couldn't do HTTPS decryption. Um, so I become the de facto like, hey, how do I get to this website while you're at school? And, and I become that guy. Um, so, but instead of the school, you know, getting on to me and me getting in like, lots of trouble, um, the the technician that actually worked for our school um, took me under his wing, and he was like, "I'm going to put you to work." So I got to work on the school computers and help teachers with like their IT problems, and it was really interesting because I would literally be in a class and I would get buzzed from the office that you know so and so teacher in so and so class like needed me in there to go help her with a computer because i was always at the school whereas the technicians in our in our small you know county schools um you know we had like one technician that served two or three different schools throughout the county so they weren't always at our school so this wasn't uh, in los angeles i'm taking it no this is in in in, in rural tennessee tennessee um, okay yeah yeah so rural western tennessee is, is where i'm from and it's not very big like you know perspective my graduating class had 26 people in it that's oh, how that small is, we were yeah that's that <laughs> now, and, now i i just i interject for just a second to share that during the time that you're talking about here i within a few years of that i was a network administrator for a school district and so i was one of the people setting up those firewalls that that you would have been circumventing you would have been my my arch nemesis at the yeah time. I think Anyways, there were a continue. few instances. There are even a few instances of me actually putting BIOS passwords on the mm -hmm. computers, so even the technicians could could mess with them. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was not the nicest student looking uh, back on it. Um, I remember you know, I, I remember kids doing stuff like that to the computers, so the, like the high school computer lab. We were like, ah, these yeah. darn kids! Like, yeah, we go. <laughs> like, we'll show them. We'll we'll go. You know, set all these group policies and everything else, and lock them all out. Everything. Yeah, no, it was it was very interesting, and you know, I would get paid um, by friends and 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 and, and such of and family, you know, of my parents, and uh, they would pay me to to reinstall Windows on their computers, or you know, they lost some family photos, and I would help them, you know, try to re retrieve them, um, you know, to what extent, you know, a, a you know a kid can, um, and eventually, I become one of the first students in my school to dual enroll with a uh, trade school. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I got to go to trade school my senior year. Um, I was actually dual enrolled, um, with the, the local, um, 
a technical college, um, not too far from from where I grew up. And uh, it was really interesting experience because I got to learn there. Um, you know, most of the training there is about, you know, CompTIA A+, Net+, Security+, and then we learned about server essentials. Um, I think it was uh, back then Microsoft had the uh, certified systems administrator or some, something like that. At MCSA. Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I am at MCSA. Yeah, yeah. So um, I never actually took the certification exams, but but I got the the knowledge because I ended up leaving school um, because I wanted to do contracting. And one of the things that you know my my instructor, so my instructor is a super smart guy, um, or res- respect him, you know, endlessly. And we were talking about you know starting our own businesses and, and things like that. And one of the things that I brought up is like I'm not certified. I don't I don't have certifications. Like how can I start a computer repair company when I'm not certified to do anything? He goes he goes there are plumbers that aren't certified. There are mechanics that aren't certified. He goes you just have to do a good job and be good at it and have the knowledge. And so I I took that to heart and I went and started my own you know computer repair service. And you know it didn't do too great uh, because it you know it does take effort and time and money to invest to actually build a business. Um, but then I moved to contracting and found contracting to be, you know, much better because I didn't have to do much of the legwork. I had to, you know, just convince some people to, to give me a bunch of money to go do a project they had already planned, tell the work for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that become much better. And the lessons that I learned doing that actually got my foot in the door working at a local factory. And this factory wanted me as an intern. And one of my philosophies throughout like getting my career is, you know, I'm not going to college to do these things. Um, I've got no intention on going to college and I don't think I have to go to college. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to take all of that time that I would spend going to college, learning these things. And I'm just going to take whatever job I can get to make my resume look as nice as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or to put me in contact with people much smarter than me, because if I'm the smartest person in the room, I've got to find a bigger room. So I, I went to to this company and I was working as an intern, working four hours a week. And they eventually I you know impressed them uh, good enough that they hired me full time um, to be on their help desk. And the position was a you know help desk coordinator. It was the actual job title. And you know the role was just that, just run the help desk. You know it was just me and an intern on the help desk, and it, it went from there. And one of the the cool things about, you know, the the manager, the director of IT that worked there was, you know, his response was, if you want to own something, tell me you want to own it and tell me how you're going to own it and then do it. And that's what I was able to do. I just did it. And, you know, I've never been told no, right? It's always, hey, I want to do this thing. Here's why I want to do this thing. And here's how I'm going to do it. And they just let me do it. Mm. And that's, that's a really powerful um way to be to ha- to experience the leadership of others is they're putting their trust in you to be like hey you know you might because there's a risk that you could fail too right like they have to they have to you could do something maybe you did a couple of things that didn't really pan out as well as you hoped and stuff like that but they still had the faith in you to to let you move to the next step and that's probably that's probably empowering of its own right yeah, absolutely. And, and I've been extremely lucky in that regard because, you know, it, who in their right mind would let someone fresh out of school, you know, build policies for how a help desk is supposed to run? But they did. You know, I, I jumped at the book. I was like, well, you know, some people smarter than me have had to have already figured this out. And that's where I discovered, you know, things like idle, um, you know, and I was like, well, let me, you know, learn idle. And then I learned idle and like, 
I, I discovered, you know, the principles of IT service management and design and delivery and things like that. I was like, well, how do I implement it here? So I would read an article or read a book or whatever on Monday, and then I would immediately start implementing it on Tuesday. <laughs> like we're moving fast <laughs> and sometimes it was like justin you got to slow down this is this is too much you know you can't you can't do this you know we're, we're a company like we we have to to think these things through and, and other times we're like oh that's a great idea let's do it <laughs> nice hey guys this is phil howard founder of dissecting popular it nerds i just want to take a few minutes to address something it has become fairly apparent i'm sure all of you will agree over the years that slow vendor response, vendor response times, vendors in general, the the average is mediocre. Support is mediocre. Mediocrity is the name of the game. Not only is this a risk to your network security, because I've seen vendors on numerous occasions share sensitive information, but there's also a direct correlation to your budget and your company's bottom line. Not to mention the sales reps that are trying to sell you and your CEO and your CFO on a daily basis. That causes a whole nother realm of problems that we don't have time to address. Our back office program at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we've put together specifically for IT leadership, and it's on a mission to eliminate this mediocrity. And the best part is that we're doing this in a way that will not cost your IT department a dime. So if you'd like us to help you out, get better pricing, better support, and jump on pressing issues in minutes, not days, then contact us now so we can get on a, a call with you and conduct a value discovery session where we find out what you have, why you have it, and where you want to go and how we can improve your, your life, your IT department, and your company's bottom line. What you're going to end up with is... Number one, just faster support from partners who care about your organization's uptime and bottom line. And because you're going to be able to access our $1.2 billion in combined buying power, you'll be able to benefit uh, significantly from historical data. And on top of that, you'll also benefit from the skills of hundreds of on-demand experts that we have working behind the scenes that are all attached to our back office support program. So if you'd like, again, none of this is ever going to cost you a dime. At the very least, it's going to open your your eyes to what's possible. Let our back office team provide you the high-touch solutions and support that your IT team deserves so that you can stop calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND for support. Now, if you're wondering, what does this apply to? This applies to your ISPs, your telecom providers, all your application providers, whether you're a Microsoft shop or a Google shop, what you might be paying for AWS, even Azure, co-location space, any of those vendors that you're paying a monthly bill to, we can help you with. Hey, it's Greg, the Frenchman secretly managing the podcast behind the curtain. To request your one-on-one -on -one call, contact us at internet at popularit.net. And remember, it will never cost you a dime. So another, another kind of just plumb in the depths of your your background and your history as a leader here. Um, share, is there something about you that you know people wouldn't expect or if they, you know, you're an IT. So like, and I'll give, I'll give an example. Uh, when, when I was a kid, uh, I, well, I was in the Macy's State Parade. You know, like I actually was in a marching band and I was in the Macy's State Parade. You know, so like, it, but for, for you, what, what kind of cool or interesting thing 
would somebody not expect about you or just like a cool tidbit, you know, like maybe, you know, six languages and nobody yeah. realized that. <laughs> um, I, I love, I love writing stories um, mm-hmm. and I've been slowly learning how to build a novel, um, which is very interesting, you know, learning the the intricacies of, of world building and creating scenes and dialogues between two characters. All that stuff fascinates me. I'm a huge science fiction fan. I mm-hmm. consume a, ton of science fiction audiobooks. I think I've got 350 audiobooks in my library right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm constantly consuming uh, these audiobooks. And it, it's been a very fun experience, you know, learning to write because there's a there's a you know there's a I mean writing is is an art right but there's there's methodologies behind how you write and how you frame your story you know are you going to you know create a a story where you know you've got the hero's journey or you know what other methodology of, of writing that you're creating hmm. now i'm going to tie this right back into this podcast which is leadership how do you think what you've been learning there, how are you thinking that's going to tra- that's translating or has helped you develop and grow as a leader? Yeah, it's definitely, um, I would say like the most that I've learned is that like everyone has a perspective on certain things. And one of the things that you, you know, learn when you're writing a story that involve like multiple characters, okay, you have to develop like, okay, not every character is one dimensional and they're not all the same dimension. Right. So I may care about the same thing as you, but we may care about it for completely different reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I make it like a technology stack because this technology stack is so cool. I can do so much with it so fast. I can automate it, whatever. Right. But you may like it because it's cheap and efficient and affordable. Right. And it's scalable or, or whatever that may be. Right. Everyone has a perspective and learning to understand other people's perspectives, I think is pretty imperative into being an effective leader. Hmm. Awesome. So I'm just thinking Again, coming back to leadership and and ideas that we share, you know, for our listeners here on the podcast, we're 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 talking about, you know, we're all dissected popular IT nerds, and we like to kind of get into the depths of what it is that makes you a leader and what why that is. I, I know we've talked about a ton of stuff here. As a takeaway, what leadership things, and and I I really want I I'm going to find this really interesting because of. You're on. You're younger. You know. You're a younger leader. You've got a lot of great leadership experience, but really, you're bringing a, a younger perspective to this. What key things of leadership advice would you want to share with somebody? Things that you've learned, things that you know, things that you always live by, whatever the case may be. Um, never stop learning, right? Like I, I consume new knowledge every single day. Right. And even, even as the person, you know, you know, leading it for impulse, I still have consultants that I I talk to people who have done this exact thing that I'm doing that I can send a tax, but say, I'm having complications, understanding this ask from the executive team, or I don't understand how to address this thing pertaining to a user or a problem. And they can give me advice based on their actual experience because as much book and technical knowledge that I may have, I don't have experience in some things. And I have to understand that that is, you know, it's not a weakness as long as I'm adequately looking for people or looking at at knowledge written by people that have done these things that I'm trying to do. Mm, That's that's awesome. Thank you. Now, humorous question, Star Wars or Star Trek? You mentioned your sci-fi, so 
Oh, Star Trek all the way. Oh yeah, that's that. You, you and I, you and I are buddies right now. <laughs> Just so <Yeah>. we're clear. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm a huge. So I, I like the. Um, I don't want to say like utopian future, but I like I like science fiction. That's that's good. You know, it's like humanity is doing something great, and you know because we've built great things, life is better and easier. And you know, like like you know, Star Wars. It's so dystopian. You know, like it's just I can't. I watch it. Right, don't get me wrong. I've seen every movie. I've read some of the extended like universe Star Wars. books. Just before before we get we all yeah. before both of us get <laughs> flamed here, right? Like we like Star Wars. It's not that we don't like Star Wars. It's just that if I'm choosing, I'm gonna choose Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Justin. Uh, thank you so much for investing the time with us on the podcast today. And yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that's a wrap on today's episode of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Uh, I'm Doug Kameen, and we look forward to coming to you on our next episode. Thanks for joining us.